0: You are listening to a podcast from C3 Church Wallandilly. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash C3 Wallandilly. Well, hey, everybody. I hope that you're having a great day in church today. I'm with you for this Word via video today. Now, the reason I wanted to record, it, even though I knew I wasn't going to be there, is because we are about to launch a brand new series that I'm really, really excited about. And I thought it was important that I kick that series off today with uh, a bit of a message, a bit of an overview of where we're headed over the next several months as we lead into Christmas. Hey, if you're visiting with us, a very warm welcome to you. I'm looking forward to being back with you real soon, but I know that our team will look after you. We have an amazing team at both our locations, and I'm sure that you'll be made to feel welcome. Well, this new series that we are starting is called One just one, the number one, and it's about unity, it's about equality. What we're really going to be looking at is the central theme in the gospel, in the story of Jesus, the central theme of unity. It is a fundamental factor in the gospel message. In fact, it's a fundamental factor in the entire Bible, and it's one that is, is often overlooked. And so I'm really excited about the opportunity that we have in this series to tackle this over the next little while. You know, I think this is one theme that is probably quite substantially underrated in importance in the lives of many Christians and indeed in the lives of many Christian churches today. And so I wanted to take this time to address it. You know, when we make the gospel message, the message of Jesus primarily about us having a relationship with Jesus and going to heaven to be with him when we die, we miss out on and in fact I think water down one of the most important messages of the gospel. And that is that Christ death came to restore humanity to its full dignity so that we could do what we were intended to do originally, which is represent God and bring God's kingdom of love and peace and justice to the world around us, something that we often miss out on. I think sometimes as Christians, we become very adamant about wanting to uphold certain moral values in our society. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I think it's important that we do declare truth. Uh, But the scriptures say to not just speak the truth but to speak the truth in love. And I think that oftentimes I sense that Christians say will say things where they genuinely believe that they are speaking the truth in love. I love you, that's why I'm telling you the truth. But there's a missing link there that you'll hear me talk about quite a bit over the course of this series, and that is that it's one thing to speak the truth, it's another thing to speak the truth with the intention of love. But my feeling is if it's not perceived by the majority of people in a loving way, then the second Second point is of obsolete and of no value. What's the point in saying we love a person if they don't feel they are loved? So I think it's incumbent upon us as Christians to find a way to uphold truth in a way that still validates and, uh, and allows people the dignity of free will, allows them the fact that God loves them irrespective of how, he loves all of us irrespective of how we live our lives. You know, equality as it stands would probably rank as one of the major social topics in the world today. Uh, Open up your newsfeed on your phone and guarantee there'll be some article related to equality in some way. We have issues around gender equality and sexuality. We have socioeconomic equality. We have issues of education and employment. Are people being educated equally, employed equally? There's the whole issue of the environment and how that plays into equality. Is is, uh, all nations treating the environment equally and so on. There's the issue of immigration, which also is at core an issue of uh, equality. Of course there's the issue of freedom of speech. Does everybody have equal rights to share their views, the religious freedoms that we all experience? And for many of you, uh, just me saying that list will awaken deep emotion inside you. You've most likely had a conversation with someone who has a particularly strong view about at least one of those perspectives. And, And if you think to yourself, I haven't had a conversation with anyone, I can't think of anyone who has had a strong opinion with me, then there's a good chance that you're the one who's having the strong opinion and you're unaware that other people may have different perspectives. And so I think it's important that we express our perspective, but we do it in a way that validates other people. If God has given people free will, then it's not our right to invalidate that free will that has been given to them by God. And so uh, we need to perhaps listen more, as Proverbs says, and speak less. So over the next several weeks, we're going to tackle some of these issues in our Sunday services. There's far more than we'll have time to deal with in the limited number of Sundays that we have, but I have been working alongside Adam Baer uh, from Picton and Jimmy Brennan from Camden uh, to put together and curate a series of long-form audio podcasts. As I preach this message, we are about halfway through our list, and uh, there'll be some other speakers and other interviews on that list. As as well as those two guys. And what we're doing is we're taking the time to unpack these issues in significant depth. And we'll be releasing those podcasts probably about two a week over the course of the next six to seven weeks, something like that. And the the title of that podcast is Christians in Culture. And I want you to encourage you to take some time to listen to that. We're taking a deep dive into what it means to live as a Christian and interact with the culture around about us today. And I'm probably going to tread on a few people's toes when i I open up that proverbial can of worms, but we're having a lot of fun recording them. And uh, I do believe it's worth us being versed and thinking through how we are to interact with the world around us, not just through what other people have told us, but actually genuinely in light of what we believe Scripture is telling us. You know, I think sometimes a lot of us we know what we believe, but if we are questioned about why we believe it, we would be hard-pressed to be able to explain that from a biblical theological background. And if we can't, if we can't anchor what we believe in scripture, I think it's wise that we're very careful and circumspect about what we say in the world around about us because if we don't anchor it in the word of God surrounded by love, then we um, are potentially being unloving and not Presenting Christ there's a speaker I love called Preston Sprinkle and he says if we get the Bible right and love wrong then we're wrong and so you're going to hear us unpack that in this podcast and I would encourage you to get on board you'll be able to find those via our church Facebook pages and other avenues as well I encourage you to listen to those during the week but today I wanted to give a bit of an overview to this issue of oneness of equality. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul doesn't really use the term equality very often. he tends to use the term one or we are united that kind of thing to indicate this principle of equality. But before we get into the Apostle Paul, I thought it would be good to, a good place to start when you uh, as a Christian is always to look at what Jesus had to say about unity, about this concept of Equality, let's have a look at what Jesus' perspective and framework that he operated in would be. But before we do, maybe we should look a little bit at the context, the social context, the societal context that Jesus was ministering in in the first century. It was uh, a Roman, a Greco-Roman world. And so some of the traits of the Greco-Roman world were pretty nasty. In fact, I would say that relative to, uh, relative to the world we live in today in the West, in our country, here in Australia, for instance, I would say that a person living in the Greco Roman world on the law of averages had things far worse than we are to, than we do today. And that's not to say that that I'm happy about the way the world is today. I just think sometimes we as Christians can always see things through our own mindset. We think, oh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and it's so bad right now. And um, what concerns me when we do that without a, a long view back in history is it. To be honest, I feel it's kind of condescending to those who've lived through, uh, through eras and times as Christians that were far worse than ours. I think it's condescending to say that oh, you know, we're living in such a, a dark time in our country when there are Christians living today in, in large portions of the world that are living in very, very dark situations where it's very hard to practice their faith. And so it's not that I, I don't want us to, to recognize the world we're living in, but let's not get so caught up and fearful about it. and and think, oh, it's so bad right now. Let's have faith and let's be thankful that we live, for all intents and purposes, we live in a democracy, and it's all how we change our thinking. Certainly in comparison to the way the first century church lived. And I want you to, as you, as you listen to this list of first century church, I want you to see and compare it perhaps with some of the ways that we live in our Western culture in Australia today. And you'll see elements of this, but I think if you were to do some genuine exploration, you would see that it's far worse It was far worse in the first century. In the in the first century, the rich majority oppressed the poor. The rich minority oppressed the poor majority. And I'm talking like a very, very small portion had all the wealth, and there were no social welfare systems or anything like that. The uh, in fact, I think it's estimated that two thirds to three quarters, off the top of my head, of the Roman Empire were actually slaves. So vast majority of people were living as slaves in economic inequality there was supreme racial prejudice. Roman citizens were treated completely differently to people who were non-Roman citizens. There were very little rights for women and children, far, far worse than it is today. And that's not to say that it's good today. We're going to be actually addressing the issue of women's rights. And uh, in one of I think on one of our Sundays as well in terms of women in ministry and all that, but we'll also do that on a podcast. I'm not saying that these things are perfect today. I'm just saying that it was far, far darker and worse uh, than it is today perhaps there was very little religious freedom in fact people were expected to obey the legal religion of the empire in fact by the time of christ the caesar the king was actually deified and so they were expected to worship the king the only exception interestingly enough in all of the roman empire was the jewish people uh, mainly because the Jewish were so staunch in their monotheistic worship of Yahweh that they had created such a stink that the Romans found that it was easier to let them worship Yahweh and have their temple and perform their religious sacrifices than to try to fight against it. But even then, there were significant caveats about it. For instance, the, the religious elite of the Jewish empire, they were in league with Rome. They were getting kickbacks from Rome and they were expected to still offer sacrifices and pray on behalf of C- and on behalf of the Roman Empire, so very little religious freedom. These are all topics, aren't they, that we're we, that we're talking about that are hot topics in the 21st century as much as they were in the first century. And I think that's because they are human nature topics. They're issues to do with the way our sinful heart helps affects the way we interact with the people around us. Well, what did Jesus have to say about? all of this mess that was existing in the world where he was ministering. We would expect, probably, many of us would expect that Jesus would have tackled that head-on and had an awful lot to say about the political and the socioeconomic climate of his day. But in reality, at least according to the Scriptures, the way they're recorded, Jesus had relatively almost nothing to say, actually, about it. He refers in Genesis 1, he refers back to Genesis 1, verse 27, and the teaching that all uh, are created in the image of God. And so he he at least... Uh, vicariously pronounces this concept of equality that all people, male and female, are created in, equi- in the image of God. Therefore, he leveled the playing field of equality, if you like. We can infer that he believed that uh, all people should be treated equal. But in reality, around about him, there was severe deference in equality. There was severe circumstantial inequality in the world around him. Jesus, though, did not start a political uh, protest movement to deal with the issues of the inequality that he saw in the Roman Empire about him, and I think this is very important because uh, we'll be talking about this in more depth in our podcast. Should Christians engage in the political spectrum? And so I'm not going to go into that now. I want you to listen to it in the podcast because I will not be able to say in in 30 or 60 seconds enough about it to not just throw the cat among the pigeons and upset everybody. But I think it's sufficient to say that Jesus' ministry was incredibly political, but in no way it was a political the way that you and i would expect it to be jesus actually had very little to say about the political climate of the world around him but his message was a kingdom of god has come message well that is political language he is stating that there is a different kingdom other than rome that is coming to earth and it was going to operate differently so jesus was a political person but not in a way that necessarily was what we would expect him to do. He wasn't lobbying or fighting against the political uh, powers that be of the day. He was trying to teach how Christians and followers of people who want, to, who want to reflect God into the world, how they should live by a different standard. I think Jesus probably knew that to, to lobby for political change and moral change in a political level was not going to have a lasting effect. Jesus understood something that I think we Christians often forget, and that is that the reason that the world is in a mess is because of the problem of the sinful, broken, destructive, selfish human heart. And that is what Jesus taught about. That is what Jesus came to deal with. His intention for living and dying was to fix the moral decay of the human heart, to enable humans to truly become what they were always intended to be. If you read the Sermon on the Mount with that concept of what I've just said about how do we live a different kind of life to the way the world intends us to live. You will see the the gospel, or the Sermon on the Mount will take on a different perspective. Also too, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the whole thing of who is my neighbor? Jesus makes it very clear that your enemies are your neighbors. And so it takes on a different perspective. His message was radically political, but so radically political that it upset the political powers and ultimately died for it. But he, it was in his dying for it that he created the way for human heart to change so we can do an injustice when as i said earlier we don't preach the whole gospel when we make it all about i give you life to jesus and you'll go to heaven when you die the big goal of the christian life as portrayed in the new testament is bringing heaven to earth and restoring the dignity and equality of every human being so as we move into the rest of the new testament we find that the apostle paul continues to deal with this issue of inequality and what the gospel has done to bring equality to the world. In fact, it's probably the big issue that the New Testament addresses to be honest, more so than just going to heaven when you die. And in Paul's context is very often in the context of dealing with racial equality, but that's not to say that the issue of Jews and Gentiles or racial equality is is the the limitation upon what the gospel is supposed to have in our lives. Paul uses that because that's the context he's often addressing, but the issue of equality sp- Spreads far beyond racial equality. Paul will, limit, will speak about it in terms of family. He'll talk about it in terms of gender. He'll talk about it in terms of socioeconomic policy. All these things. The issue is that when Christ's kingdom comes into our hearts, we are empowered to be able to treat all people equally. And that is should be the primary outflow and desire that should flow from being a Christian. More than just somehow ticking a whole lot of moral boxes about the way we live our lives. We are to live our lives selflessly, laying down our lives for the value of others. And Jesus puts it quite simply. He says, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. That is, in a nutshell, the essence of equality. So Paul was constantly faced with the issue of inequality, not just between Jews and Gentiles outside the church, but oftentimes inside the church. He was faced with inequality in the church. Christians who just didn't get it yet. Like I think so many of us, we don't get the issue of equality and the importance of it. He was dealing with racial equality in the church. He was dealing with socioeconomic inequality in the church. Unfortunately, those who represent him, Jesus, Don't always do a very good job of uh, implementing his concepts of equality. Our sin nature still pervades us and it's in relationship with God and understanding what God wants to do in us that we'll hopefully uh, be able to treat people better than we do. Because the core root, let's face it for all of us, is that we're still, without the empowering of God changing our heart, we're still at our core selfish beings. I will choose what's best for me, and by implication, my family, my community, my tribe, my church, my nation. And as long as we're happy and we're contented, actually, we don't often think about the implications for others around you. You can already hint on the fact that I'm starting to talk about things like immigration all those sorts of things and we'll deal with those in more depth but you can see the implications of this message of equality a lot of people think that the apostle paul was anti-women he was anti-gay people he was anti-jewish he was anti-pagan it's actually not the case at all in fact I would say that if you were to compare the Apostle Paul's writings with most of the writings of that day, Paul would be radical, radical in his extreme view of equality. He uh, deeply believed in the intrinsic value of every human being, irrespective of race, creed, gender, social status, sexual orientation. He believed that Christ was the great equalizer and that every person was on equal standing in him. Without Christ, every person was equally without hope, and with Christ, every person was equally with hope. That was the Apostle Paul's core belief about equality. And it's played out in a couple of letters, and as we get ready to close, I want to show you some passages out of Galatians and the book of Ephesians, where Paul uh, addresses this issue. So a bit of background to the book of Galatians. Paul was writing to a group of Christian churches in Galatia, which is in modern Turkey. And uh, the background was that there was this belief infiltrating the church that somehow Jewish people, sorry, Gentile people had to start to, were expected to become Jewish in order to fit in. In other words, you have to look like us, you have to behave like us, you have to practice the way we practice in order to be included. And Paul was radically against that. In fact, in Galatians 5, verse 12, he is talking about this issue because people were being told they had to be circumcised in order to become Jewish, in order to be accepted in the church. And Paul is so adamantly against this that he says, I actually wish that those of you who are saying that they would need to, they're telling you you need to have your foreskin circumcised to be a Christian, I reckon they should go the whole way and cut the whole thing off. That's basically what Paul was saying in Galatians 5:12. He was quite crass about it because he was so frustrated that they didn't get the importance of equality, it had nothing to do with becoming a certain race or a certain kind of people group. In Galatians 3 verse 26, he says this: "You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you have been united with Christ in baptism. And have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer any Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. That's economic. There's no longer male or female. That's gender. He's not saying that, that male and female cease to exist. He's not saying that there aren't slaves and there aren't free. He's saying in God, you're all one. You're one new people group. There, the differences aren't supposed to stop you from being unified. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Now that you belong to Christ, you're all true children of Abraham. You were heirs of God's promise, and God's promise in Abraham belongs to you. So Paul isn't saying that we should uh, somehow radically unify our looks and our cultures and our genders and and all of and and our racial stuff he actually the bible is very very overwhelmingly in favor of cultural diversity in favor of ethnic diversity people from all races and tribes and nations and tongues the book of revelation talks about we are one new people group but the ethnic diversity, the gender diversity, the social uh, different levels of social diversity, they still exist, and in some cases they should be exemplified and, and, and endorsed. But, but you're equal. So equality can often be misconstrued as though everyone needs to look the same, everyone needs to have the same level of morality. But God's into diversity. Unity does not always require uniformity in all things you don't need to become a certain race adopt a certain national cultural practices to be accepted our society is actually screaming at us that we do it's saying if you want to be like if you want to come to our country you need to be like us if you want to uh, be accepted in our culture you need to believe the same as us you need to believe what we believe about about gender or about sexuality or about religion or whatever now You need to wrestle with this as a Christian. You need to think this through. I'm not going to tell you what you need to believe. I want you to think this through from a biblical perspective. I want you to think it through, just not just have a perspective because you've been told it's right or you think it's right. Actually wrestle with it and be prepared to be challenged and go, well, why do I believe this? And if you come up with it from a theological perspective, then at least you've got some grounds to stand upon. Don't just assume that Aussie cultural practices are automatically right. I believe that we can and we must celebrate racial and cultural diversity, not quash it. Actually, that's what we call colonialism. And uh, the Western world has done that all over the world and we're still reaping the the negative aspects of colonialism where we want people to look like us behave like us dress like us as though somehow we are more superior i love what pastor lars and megan halverson they have a very multi-ethnic church in darwin and this is what i heard pastor lars say once he said we have one culture but we are multi ethnic and they have refugees from all over the world africans and and uh asians and all, all people from all." Over come who are living in Darwin in their church, and he says we have one culture. We are kingdom culture. We are one new people group. We belong to Jesus, but we endorse them. We allow for the different ethnicities and, and the value that they bring to the whole. I love that concept. That is the opposite of colonization. And. Lots of people have tried to colonize the world and make it like us, assuming that we automatically are always right. So as we get ready to wrap up, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. But before I do, a bit of background to the book of Ephesians. This is probably, in my opinion, Paul's the Apostle Paul's supreme writing. And he wrote it um, as a treatise. Really, it wasn't written so much to a church in Ephesus. It was probably written from Ephesus to Christians everywhere. And it really is a picture of what the kingdom, the gospel is supposed to be like in the world. What is this gospel, this mystery that he calls it, this hidden mystery? What is it that Christ would live in us and the implications of that? How does it affect us in terms of, All of these things that I am speaking about. In fact, if you read the book of Ephesians, if you can sit down, you can read it in about 40 minutes. If you read it through the lens of what I've just told you, you will see that this imprint is all over it. Paul is dealing with the implications of what Jesus has done in us and how we should live in equality racially, socioeconomically, within the family, uh, within uh, parents, children, education, employment. It all fits the implications of how to live as Christians in culture. And he says this in Ephesians 2. He says, Don't forget that you Gentiles, you used to be outsiders. But Paul went to them not to proclaim some moral code. You need to live like us. He went to them not to proclaim judgment on them because of their morality. He went to them to proclaim the good news, to preach the good news that Jesus had welcomed them into his family through his death on the cross. You Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathen by the Jews. Isn't it interesting? It was the religious people the people who were supposed to be God's people that were calling those outside of the church, outside of God's people as uncircumcised heathen, a derogatory term. And I don't think the Christian church is a whole lot better at that. I still think we have that same track record. We get into this whole us and them of those people. Hey, let's, let's do something in this series. Let's eradicate the us and them from our speech. We are all deeply uh, outside of Christ lost in sin. In Christ, we are all unified. Let's, be, uh, let's not treat people unequally. Let's recognize that all people are equally loved by God. He used to be called uncircumcised, heathen by the Jews. They were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and their hearts. Their religious practice, to put it in modern terms, our religious practice, our moral standard, we think that identifies us as a Christian and therefore we are better than anybody else. And all we're doing is we're filling our hearts with pride and pride separates us from the very people that we're called to meet. He goes on and says, In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. But now you've been united with Christ. Now you've been welcomed in. Once you were away from God... But now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Outsiders have been welcomed in and not just welcomed in to change. You're welcomed in as you are. And then together as one new people group, we grow and we change and we be conformed to the image of Christ. We become more like Christ, like it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Outsiders are united with us through their relationship with Christ, not through learning to behave like us. We're all saved by grace, not by works. Ephesians 2, just before this, in verses 8 and 9. Verse 14: For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the war of hostility. I love this stuff. That separated us. Here's the concept. Through Christ's death, every person who believes in him has been united into one new people group, one new nation, a royal priesthood, all this language that comes out in Scripture. We can maintain some levels of our ethnicity, but we are actually one new nation, one new people group, one new kingdom under God. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people group from the two. Together as one body, Christ reconciled, both groups by means of his death through the cross and our hostility towards each other has been put to death. That is to say we are all reconciled and we are all equal in Christ, not because of our morality, not because of whether we go to church on Sunday or Saturday, not because of whether we live a certain standard and those people in the church down the road don't, not because we have a different moral standard to those people outside the church. We have all been saved by grace through faith, regardless of our political position regardless of whether we are left or right, regardless of whether we're in the middle, regardless of whether we're progressive or conservative. Through Christ, that is the unifying factor. So as our band get ready to come back now, I just want to wrap up with some concluding thoughts, and then I will ask our MC to close up the message. As I've said multiple times, we need to realize that our unifying factor is the work of Christ on the cross. It can never be anything else. It can't be our racial, our social, our economic, our political beliefs. When we fall into the trap of thinking that equality is dependent on people agreeing with me, then I'm putting myself outside, out of step with the gospel of Christ. Those are not things that agree, that unify us. The thing that unifies us, the only thing that unifies us is Christ. So let's be a people who are unified around Christ and then we can go to the world in love and genuinely love people who are different from us. Instead of judging them, we can bring truth in love, in love that is perceived by them to be love so that we we can possibly reach as many of them with the good news as possible i wonder if you could stand as we get ready to close and our mc will come back now i want you to close your eyes and i want you to just take some time to apply this message to your life here's the question what people group what group of people who have a different value to me might i be treating differently and not effectively showing christ's love to because I'm judging them or thinking of them as somehow inferior to me? What group of people or people group may I be treating differently and not effectively showing Christ's love to? Where have my implicit biases due to my social experiences, my upbringing, where have they made me think certain things about, quote, unquote, those people that aren't really rooted in the love of Christ that he has for all people? Because whichever way you look at that, if there are people where we do that, and I'm speaking to myself too here, that is discrimination. And that is so foreign to the gospel message where all human beings are treated with dignity because all human beings are created in the image of God. Is it men? Do we treat women differently? Women, do you treat men differently? Do you look down on men or vice versa what about people who have a, genuine, a different gender identity to us, a different race to us, a different religion to us, different socioeconomic background? Do we judge the rich or do we judge the poor? What about people from different religions to us? Where does this affect you? I'm going to ask you to do something very bold as we close now, and then we're going to hand back to the MCs at both our locations. If you have your eyes closed right now, And you are impacted by anything I've said. I want you to do something very courageous. I want you to raise your hand up right now. And I want to pray for you that God will soften your heart. If you are sensing God prompting you that you aren't treating all people with dignity that they deserve... This is an opportunity to say, I recognize that, I repent of that. And then I'm going to pray for you that God softens your heart and you truly experience so that you can walk out from this place today completely changed, willing to treat people or people with dignity and respect. So raise your hand if that's you and I'm going to pray for you now. Lord, For every person that has their hand raised in this place today, I pray that you would soften their hearts. I thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us. Lord, I know I have my hand up because I know that I have not always done this well. There are lots of times when I have brought judgment or I've let my implicit bias cause me to judge others unfairly. Lord, would you help us to remove us and them language from our vocabulary so that we can recognize that, we are all one in Christ, those of us who are followers of Jesus. And for those that don't yet know Christ, our mandate is to be a kingdom of priests to them, to represent. God's love to them, to represent God's forgiveness to them, to proclaim the good news that Jesus died, that they no longer need to be outsiders, but that they too can be welcomed inside. Help us, Lord, and no, not put unnecessary barriers between us and the very people that you've left us on this earth to reach, the very people that are fundamental to why we live as Christians, that we could truly be Christians in the culture around about us. Thanks for listening today. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash C3wallandilly.